Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. The following is a GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street production. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Questions podcast, presented by Fridge Wholesale Liquor, and it starts right now. Now, let's go to the WTC gig-powered studios. Here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome in here to the PowerCat Questions Podcast, sponsored by the Fridge Wholesale Liquor. I am not Tim Fitzgerald. I am not Zach Carlson. But I am Ryan Gills Gilbert here as we are going to be taking your questions here from Wabash Station. We are going to be asking Fitz. Uh, this will be a two-part podcast. First half will be just about sports. Second half will be about the life of Fitz. How you doing, man? I'm good, brother. This is kind of fun. Kind of yeah, fun to be on the other end of this. More. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if exactly. you want to take over hosting, I'm fine with that. I can just talk my head off. <laughs> Sounds like a plan to me. Uh, this is sponsored, as you all know, by the Fridge Wholesale Liquor. I just turned 21 a few months ago, so I have not had any alcohol in my system ever my whole 21 years of life. But when I do, you can already bet that I will be at the fridge consuming a beer. What do you think I'll have, Fitz? Hold on. You, you still haven't had a drink? Oh, no, 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 no. Never. See, I'm a good kid. Even though you're 21? <laughs> uh, maybe. Okay. Maybe. There we go. Only uh, for the last two months, that's for sure. I think you should start off with um, a selection of beers to kind of hone in on what you enjoy in the beer world. So, so Natty Light? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, as a college student, Natty Light, Bush Light, you know, those those higher-end beers. Um but no, I mean, there's so many types of beer now. The IPAs, I don't like hoppy beers. I don't like hop in my beers. They get too, uh, they bleh. And so I'm a Mexican beer guy. And, you know, give me a nice Pacifico with lime, and I'm really happy. But I'm not a huge beer guy to start with. I, I enjoy uh, Boulevard beers, but I'm more of a hard liquor guy. And that you really need to ease in on. You just need to do it. I don't know if this is you just going off on one of your spiels, or are you trying to give me real advice about beer? <laughs> I actually am. you got to find I, what kind I of beer you like. I plenty of beer. I, I, I was totally joking about that. I I probably drink more beer than you. Oh, good. You don't like beer that much then. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I'll be having some beer this weekend, Memorial Weekend. We're going to the lake. Should be a lot of fun. Nice. What lake do you guys go to? Lake of the Ozarks. Oh, you go one down One of our friends there. has a lake house, so, yeah. Sweet. Maybe we should go out to Manhattan, buy our alcohol, and then just go to the lake. Maybe a little bit out of the way, but it's a lot we're willing to do way. it for the fridge, right? Yeah, exactly. It's uh, better at the fridge. I did my first um, online order rolled up. They loaded it in my car, and I went home, and it was fantastic. Wow. D- didn't have to lift a finger. They've got parking spots on the west side of their building. You pull right into one. And you're supposed to call, but the guy was kind of waiting and said, what's your name? I said, Fitzgerald. He brought it right out, stuck it in my car, and I went home. It's like, this is amazing. This is the best. There you go. You know what's not out of the way is Tanner's. 
It's wedding season. Yeah. (laughs) For those who don't know, my mom and stepdad, they did not get married at Tanner's. They had their reception at Tanner's. I just was an idiot thing to got married at Tanner's. It's never going to end on my uh, my version of events. Which Tanner's was it? Do you know? Yeah, it was uh, 143rd and Metcalf right here in Overland Park. The far south one. Uh huh. We go there all the time still to this day. You know, our dog's name is Tanner. Tanner, just the whole, everything has a special, special place here in our hearts. Huh. Uh, like I said, first half here of the podcast, we're asking Fitz just some questions about sports. The second half will be about the life of Fitz. But first, starting us off your cat in a trap. Is there a chance that Power 5 football breaks away from the NCAA? If so, how uh, explain how K-State fits in. At this point, it's all about money. Will Kansas State have the backing or catch to be included? I think so, unless they really draw a tight circle. I I put this in that story, the column I put up about, you know, post-pandemic college sports. I don't know how they can just say, we're in, you're out. I think because of the money at stake here, there would be endless lawsuits. I think they have to say, this is what it takes to be in, who's in. And I don't think they can draw that circle too tight but because uh, I, I think uh, – Nobody wants one of their conference schools excluded. I don't think. I mean, if you're the SEC, if you draw it too tight, does Vanderbilt say no? I mean, that's a lot of tradition. Northwestern say no. And, you know, with the Big 12, it'd be more rural schools like Iowa State and Kansas State. You know, I, I just don't see how they can exclude an existing member of the Power Five based solely on an invitation. And, more to the point, I think Kansas State would find the money. I think Kansas State fiscally is in pretty good shape. Uh, the budget may not be huge because the budget is lean. Just because you don't have a big budget doesn't mean you're not successful. It means maybe you're more frugal um, with your money. You're more smart with how you spend money. And they seem to fund football at a pretty high level. I mean, football never starves for anything anymore it used to but now if k-state football needs it like a new practice facility and an indoor practice facility (laughs) football will get it even if it displaces some of your parking um, which is just such a blown out of proportion thing you know i mean it's not people are so upset they haven't announced how they're going to do it well i can tell you one thing it's going to be it's still going to be based on Doning points, you know, they're not going to just displace high point donors and say, sorry, you're out of the lot. I mean, they're going to probably just reassign the entire East lot over there. But, uh, yeah, football needs it. Football gets it. And unless K-State falls on really bad times and is like two and ten leading up to expansion. I mean, if K-State's eight and four, nine and three type seasons, there's no way Kansas State will be left out of uh, not expansion, but, you know, the move to a a power five, you know, kind of independent football, which is, I think, what will happen. It, it'll just be independent of the NCAA. And all the other sports will stay in the NCAA, and NCAA will still have football, but just the biggest schools, the biggest TV contracts will be independent, run by one commissioner for that football. And I don't think it'll be semi-pro. I don't think it'll still be college football because nobody – wants to get in an arms race, a pure arms race, because there just would be some schools that would be the Yankees, and then everyone else couldn't keep up. You know, Texas, Alabama, 
Michigan, Ohio State, USC. I mean, some of these schools would just throw so much resources at it. It would be unfair and uh, eventually destroy the sport anyhow. But I think it'll happen, and um, I'm, I'm almost looking forward to it now. I really am. So is this subject like subject to change? Because if you look at a school like Kansas, right now there's no way any sort of league would want them in there. But you look at, you know, traditionally like 10 or 15 years ago, okay, it was a pretty good football school. So, you know, are they just going to kind of interchange who's good and who's bad? What's interesting to me about it is <laughs> you're always going to have bad teams. If you, if you break off the top 64, 80, 80 teams, let's say the top 80 teams break off and go do their own thing. Are you going to still be able to schedule NCAA schools in the non-conference? Or are you going to have to schedule all teams within your elite division? Well, then, I mean, you're, you're erasing two or three victories off everyone's schedule. And, and now it becomes a 50-50 proposition. That's the thing about leagues is when you get into league play, as a total, everyone goes 500. It's how it works. Someone wins, someone loses. And if you only play schools within the elite division, and this is something I would caution a lot of schools to stop and think about, basically you're playing against light competition in all 12 games. The average record will be 6-6. Six and six. So for every school that goes 9-3 and three and looks good to their alumni, there'll be someone that goes 3-9. and nine. There'll be schools that go 0-12 oh and 12, that might have gone three and nine in the NCAA because they had the three non-conferences and then sucked in the league, but now they're winless. It's going to be a real shock to the system. I personally think Kansas, in this scenario, should give up football. It's not important to them. It's not. Yeah. They yeah. just just go play basketball and make that your thing. But I don't think the pride of it will allow them to do that. And and that's they're kind of caught in this. We want to be good at football. We just don't want to do what we have to do to be good at football, which is why they hired Les Miles to try to up the importance of football to the donors because they have to have better facilities. They have to have more money going to football. And uh, the course they were on, that wasn't happening. Les Miles makes them feel better in some ways. We got Les Miles. We got a national championship here. You know, that's what they've done. They've kind of yeah. glommed on to LSU's national championship like they did something. Here's the big thing, though. If KU basketball gets nailed, which I think every Missouri, Kansas State fan, Iowa State fan, kind of hope that happens. Get what you, you've been cheating. Get what you have coming. Does that make them put the emphasis on football that is needed? Does that refocus things? Kind of like when K-State dropped off in basketball, Bill Snyder walked in the door and football got the money. I don't know. We'll see. I look forward to listening to that podcast with Dr. Keister. Um, uh, that, I don't know if you're going to talk about this, but that's something that he certainly could talk about for days. Uh, certainly looking forward to listening to that Life of Fitz yeah, that's coming what, up. Is that Thursday night? Yeah, that will be uh, releasing later this week. Dan Keister will be my uh, second one. Teaches a sports econ class on campus. Right now, it's scheduled for later this week. We he, he might get bumped to early next week. We'll see what happens. But we did Jamie Mendez, and then right now Dan scheduled for that. But um, he's really interesting. I mean, he's he he understands economics of sports as well as anyone in the country. It's really it's going to be good. Ohio Powercat would like to know. Now that grad transfer Briley Moore gives K-State pass catchers 
at tight end do you think that will improve the passing game? You know, one of my good buddies is a former K-State tight end. And tight end used to be really uh, involved in the Snyder offense. Snyder 1.0, tight end was a big deal. When the running quarterback thing started, it kind of lessened, and certainly Snyder 2.0, it went away when he just wanted a block. He wanted the tight end to be a tackle for the most part. This offense is different, even though the stats didn't show it in year one because I don't think they had the ability to throw to the tight end. So I guess my answer would be yes. I think if they had someone they felt like could function as a receiver from the tight end spot. I mean, everyone wants the Travis Kelsey the Gronkowski, the Tony Gonzalez, the the big guy that can run, get open, and catch the ball, complete possession of the ball. Bradley Moore probably provides that. I still believe there's something there with Nick Lenners. I think he was too heavy last year. And I certainly am a fan of Sammy Wheeler before he blew out his knee, so hopefully he can come back. I think the tight end will be more involved in the passing game. I know that's what they want, but just because they haven't executed that doesn't mean they've given up on it. They just went to things that were more reliable and worked. And if this if this uh, appears to be more reliable, they'll go to it. They'll do it. They'll, and I think they will. I think Bradley's going to be a big part of this offense. And that's why he came, because they convinced him of that. K-Ned would like to know, aside from the 98 championship game, what is the biggest K-State what-if moment for you? K-Ned listed a bunch of different ones, mostly involving a player getting injured and how it affected his season. Um, or, you know, some basketball games. And But mine wasn't on that list. And uh, <clears throat> it's a topic I've talked about before. I go back to the 1988 Elite Eight game between Kansas and Kansas State. Kansas State was the far better team that season. They'd beaten KU. They'd finished higher in the Big Eight than KU. And they they go up to Pontiac, and KU starts playing out of its mind, and the NCAA tournament eliminates K-State. And I've said this over and over, but historically it's really true. That's when the programs took different courses. That was when... You know, Lon Kruger stuck around for a few more years, but that was his best team, that 88 team. And he had other good teams, but that team was special. It had all the parts that you needed. Um, had a superstar in Mitch Richmond and a great point guard and a rebounding guy, you know, Henson and Bledsoe. So um, after that, KU comes back to Kansas City, wins a national title. And KU basketball kind of asserted itself on a national stage right at the uh, the emergence of ESPN as a national power. It wasn't just the, the little sports network anymore. And KU basketball, which has a rich history, don't get me wrong, but it has built off of that rich history now to be what it is. And meanwhile, K-State loses in 88 and a few months later fires its football coach and in comes Bill Snyder. And K-State kind of says... Well, to make football work, we got to work on football and really change the focus from basketball to football at that point. And that's that was the big changing moment. If K-State goes to that Final Four, if K-State wins a national championship, what happens to K-State basketball and K-State football? It, it's always intrigued me. It's kind of a time machine moment. What would be the toppling dominoes that lead to what reality would be today if Kansas State had won that game and then maybe gone on to win a national title in Kansas City? Would Kansas State, which also has a pretty darn good basketball history, 
be the darling of ESPN. I doubt it, but it's interesting to think about. Obviously, back in 2012, that game against Baylor, um, that's the, such a what if, you know, for the whole season. But, you know, Dean Wade back in 2018, if he can just, or I guess that was 2019, if he can stay healthy, you know, for the full year, I know they still won the Big 12 and all that, but man, that team, you know, without him went to the Elite Eight. Um, just imagine what they could have done with him, you know, in the big dance and getting eliminated by the Anteaters was just, like, I don't know if I've ever been more frustrated watching a K-State game uh, than that one right there against UC Irvine. So that's the biggest what if for me. Um, but as far as football goes, it'd be that Baylor game in 2012. Yeah. I mean, those are so frustrating to look at when those things happen. I don't, I don't get the problem Bruce Weber's teams have in the postseason outside of that Elite Eight run. They just don't look engaged in games in the NCAA tournament like you need to be. It just frustrates me. I don't get it. You know what came to my mind when you were talking about Bruce Weber teams not being prepared um, you know, Angel Rodriguez with five seconds left dribbling into the corner and just chucking up an absolute prayer um, against LaSalle back in Kansas City. You know, that's just, you know, his teams are not ready for that. You've got to have that one play in your back pocket that you pull out that everyone on the court knows is on the same page that, yes, this play is what we're running. And no one knew what the heck was going on. Bruce Weber, I could be wrong, but I think he had a timeout there, chose not to use it. And it's just, you know, lack of preparation really is the biggest issue for this team in March. You know, I, I look at Kansas. Whenever Kansas needs a bucket, they go to that that high post weave, you know, the high weave out front, and someone makes a play. You know, it's everyone knows it's coming. They just do something with it. They break down your defense eventually. Um, know who you are. Know what you're going to do. It's got to permeate all the way down to your players. Um, and if it the call is just go freelance, go make something happen. It doesn't work. You've got to have some form of structure off of which the players can build. Unless you got Barry Brown. <laughs> the Barry owes the structure. Go do it. And But he wasn't that yeah. way early. You know, I mean, he, he would take shots while, yeah. early on. And, I mean, he had that horrible brain fart at Kansas in which he dribbled oh, way too long. I mean, he yeah. learned some hard lessons, but eventually became a playmaker and kind of put it all together. K-Ned would also like to know, while you want the coaches to be the face of the programs, would it benefit Gene Taylor and the athletic department to show us Gene the person every once in a while? This comes out of last week's questions podcast. We had Gene on, and, you know, Gene kind of relaxed, said some things. I think he pissed off the parking lot people. Um, (laughs) Gene's a really good dude, and Gene's opinionated, and Gene is a strong leader. Gene stood up to Bill Snyder. You know, Gene's the one who finally made the change. I greatly admire Gene. I wish this was the truth. I wish he was more, the private personality was a little more public. But he's kind of shy that way. And he, I know what he's doing. Uh, when I say he's a coach's AD, that doesn't mean necessarily I think he just does whatever the coaches want to do. Um, you can make an argument he does. I mean, you can make an argument that, he doesn't want to fire a coach, even if they're not doing well. I'll accept that. But I think more it's about you guys are in the spotlight. It's not about me. It's about the coaches and the teams. I don't need to put myself out there. I don't need the ego of it. I need to run the department and manage you from behind, not in front. And I kind of appreciate that style. So, um, 
But yeah, I kind of agree with Kned too that I think having Gene out there as a little more of his personality would be great. But I also know he's very cautious because having a personality, and I know this, can lead you to say some things that cause people to get upset. And you kind of unduly ruffle feathers when it just wasn't worth it at the end of the day. You don't want to get knocked off course when your course is going pretty well. One more question from KNED. And I think I can answer this one, Fitz, but it's all you. Is Texas, as Sam Ellinger would say, back? (laughs) And is Nebraska, I don't know if any of their players have ever said back like that, but Texas and Nebraska, are they back? Um, Texas is getting close. I I mean, I think Texas finally has the right mix of AD, coach. Um, Certainly the talent is getting there. Uh, they, They need to take the next step in football. I mean, I think they're going to come to Manhattan next year and lose. That's not a good sign. It's the fourth year of the head coach and Tom Herman. They've got a senior quarterback. This should be a big year for Texas, which typically means they come to Manhattan and lose. Typically. If it's not Vince Young, that's kind of what happens. And I think Texas will be back. I think the way college football is set up and the future of college football favors Texas being a power once again, if Texas can get out of Texas's way. If Texas can just kind of settle in and get back to spending more time on substance over flash, I think they'll get there. I think they really just need to be substantive in what they're doing. Uh, and it all starts with recruiting. So I don't know. I don't know if it's this year, but I don't think Texas's problems are um, the system. Uh, how things are set up. I think things are there for Texas to be good. It's just tough to be good in college football, even if you're Texas. Nebraska, I think, is in big trouble. I really mean that. I think Nebraska's in big trouble. What built Nebraska football was, in in part, honestly, states like um, Western Iowa with Iowa State and KU and K-State, people around here didn't care. And Nebraska was able to bring in all kinds of football players. They brought in um, every farm kid that wanted to come to Nebraska, came to Nebraska. They could have 115 scholarships or whatever it was back in the day. They had offensive linemen on swimming scholarships. They they kind of bent every rule to their favor, and the rule bending stopped, particularly when they got into the Big 12. And going back to the Prop 48, the academic question marks, they were greatly limited by the Big 12, but not the Big 8. They were getting a lot of questionable kids to go to Nebraska and questionable by academics. Um, and then they would succeed at Nebraska and be great players. But then all of a sudden they couldn't get them. Um, they were working every loophole possible to maintain football greatness. So they solved that by going to the Big 10, which has even more stringent academic standards, and now remove them from being a foundation institution in the conference in which they play to being the fringe Western border team of the conference. And every road trip is seemingly far away into colder weather and kind of has taken the air out of everything that we knew about Nebraska. They traveled well, honestly, they could come down to Kansas and fill up stadiums, but they could go to Oklahoma and get his, get a lot of tickets and play a nice, warm game in Norman. Everything's changed now. Now they go to road trips up into the cold. They're long. 
they've moved away from their warm weather recruiting and into the heart of recruiting against, you know, really those programs that they can't compete with in the Big Ten. Now they're not a foundation institution. They're a fringe institution. And I think they have put them on the outside of the system. And I think Nebraska, I'm not saying Nebraska will be bad perpetually. They will be good on occasion. But Nebraska football, as we knew it in my generation, the 70s and 80s and 90s, is gone and we'll never see it again unless they really make some big changes, which would include coming back to the Big 12. I think for Texas, I disagree with you on this one. I mean, I, I mean, I don't think that they're really back at all. Um, I can understand what you're saying about, you know, the athletic department and stuff like that. You know, things are looking, um, you know, in the right direction, pointing in the right direction for that. But as for, you know, this season, I don't know if that question is just about that or, you know, the, the program in general. But, I mean, it's been like three or four years in a row now where Texas is supposed to be really good, and they're just not that good. I mean, this is a team that almost lost to KU down there in Austin last year. So I'm not buying into that hype at all. I think Ellinger is really overrated. Um, just from a you know, game standpoint, I don't think Texas is back at all. And then even you know, with the athletic department, you know, Shaka Smart, they've just they've got to let him go. I don't think that he's the answer at all. But you know, Texas was what third or fourth in the Big Twelve last year, which is it's it's crazy because the whole season, if you watched, it was like Texas was never that good. But they caught lightning in a bottle at the end of the season there, and 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 you know they came up at the top half of the standings, but. That's part of the problem that you have with Shaka Smart. You know, he gives you that mediocrity where he can't lose his job. He's got that big buyout. He'll win you some games, but he's just not going to do anything for you um, once the calendar really turns to March. So, uh, you know, I don't think Texas is back. And then Nebraska, I think we can agree on that. You know, they've seen their days. Um, that's a really, really loyal fan base. But, you know, there's they're, they're going to start becoming restless, you know, sooner or later. My thing about Texas is I think it's mental. I think they have a mental block. I feel like they have a sense of entitlement where, where Texas, we should be better than you lay down. And people don't lay down. You know, they, they, they just don't get to overwhelm people anymore um, by we've got better players and we're more confident. And, you know, they just they kind of just want the easy path except when they play Oklahoma and they tend to play Oklahoma fairly competitive because that interests them. That, that is an equal. Um, they played LSU pretty decently this year. Explain yeah, they that. Won that game. They played LSU well because they viewed them on a, from a mental approach as an equal worthy of their attention. I think Texas's football, the problems with the football program is all about how they Think of themselves and their opponents. They don't respect Kansas State. They don't respect Kansas. Well, yeah, okay. Uh, they, they don't respect anyone in this conference other than Oklahoma. And it gets them in trouble because if you don't respect a good football team, even if you might be more talented, you're going to lose more often than win. It just happens. That's how sports are. You don't respect me. I got the chip on my shoulder. Advantage me. And I think that Texas makes its own bed and they can't figure out why its bed sucks because you made it. This is this is how you approach things. You think you're better when you should be, but you're not. And, and it just gets them in trouble. The Longhorn Network's a whole other conversation, but just having your own TV station, yeah. that's, you know, adds more 
you know, to your point that, hey, we are better than you. Look at us. We're Texas. So yep. I definitely agree with that one. Um, exhausted nihilist. Like to know, Fitz, if you care to dig deep into your memory bank, what were your thoughts after the 2011 Eastern Kentucky come from behind near miss victory? Oh, my God. I thought KC football was in such big trouble. I really did. Um, you know, we didn't know Colin was going to be as great as he ended up being. Eastern Kentucky wasn't a good football team. I think the biggest thing that um, worried me, though, was Coach Snyder didn't realize, this kind of sounds just exactly like my Texas answer, that he couldn't hold everything back against these teams anymore. I mean, he could hold things back and play fairly simplistic schemes on both sides of the ball in Snyder, the hardest Snyder 1.0, and just destroy teams. Well, in the interim, between his retirement and then kind of ramping it back up, the, the gap seemed to close between FCS and FBS a little bit. I mean, the FCS had enough victories, uh, you know, that people began to really believe they could win these games. And I think the talent gap closed up a little bit. I think more players said, hey, I'll just go to the FCS. I'd rather win at the FCS than play on a sucky Mac team in the FBS. I think this happened. But also his talent dropped, and he couldn't just cruise control past every team. That loss would have belonged to Bill Snyder because he got so conservative on both sides of the ball. And, it, you know, everyone goes, but he comes back and wins because he opens up the playbook. And it's almost like, okay, now I got to use the plays at work. And they win. And that's kind of what he'd do in those games. Now we're going to run the plays that, that I know they can't defend. Instead of just running our repetitive stuff because I want my team to get better. He did that with North Dakota State. And North Dakota State got the ball back, drove down the field and won. And nobody had done that to him. Uh, I just, I don't know. I, I'm just, uh, I'm glad they won that game because I, I, I fear to know. Again, this goes back to the K-Ned question. What would happen to K-State football if they lost that? That season falls apart. Does 2012 ever come to fruition and win another conference title? It's it's interesting to think about. Go back a year before. I mean, remember that UCF game that we should have lost with Carson Kaufman? Yeah. Thank God for the weather. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I mean, the weather, they had that horrible weather break and – that bizarre storm and the game changed after that. It was just, uh, yeah. I mean, he continued to do it too. Continued, you know, kind of get conservative in a lot of those early games and put his own team in peril. It was almost like how he had flipped the score at halftime in the spring game. You know, I want to see how you react when it's a close game in the fourth quarter. And I'm like, coach, that's not what you did in the early years. You wanted to, you put, so much emphasis on blowing people out. Um, you wanted to see more players in the fourth quarter, and now it was almost like he wanted two things that were contradictory. He he wanted his team tested in the fourth quarter, and yet he wanted to get more players, and he couldn't do both. Last question of the first half here. Big, big, big time. Timmy Jim would like to know what needs to be done to update and renovate Bramlage, and what do you think will be done? It's a big question. Big question. I uh, I like uh, I love what they're doing with the Legends Room. That is, that's awesome. They're gonna have a a sports bar in Bramlage, legitimate sports bar. I, in fact, it looks so cool. I hope they open it up in general. It doesn't have to be game weekend. I hope I can just go up there and eat because it's close to my house. 
But I, I don't think they'll do that. So that's a great start. But this master plan of taking out the west side of Bramlage, and I don't know how they will accomplish this without playing a, a season remotely, um, which I'm afraid they're going to have to do. By taking out the west side of Bramlage so that you can dig it out and you can have ground-level entrances in there with tunnels so that your older fans don't have to walk down those stairs. It's just a horrendous design. The, the arena is just a horrible design. But to be able to put the west side of Bramlage and make it kind of the front face of the structure would be awesome with ground-level entrances, ticketing right there, bunch of convenience. Then you can go up ramps or stairs to go into the main concourse up at the top. It'd be awesome. It would change everything. You know, the Legends thing and the the South End Zone project are changing the look of that. Maybe then they can do a little something on the east side to dress it up. Um, I wish they would go in and really kind of fix all the, the lost space that they have in Bramlage. And maybe tunneling out that west side will do it and they can put in bigger locker rooms and more restrooms, a bigger media room, whatever they need to do. Maybe they can accomplish all that. I don't know when that will happen, if that will happen, but I think it's necessary because I know K-State basketball has been successful in Bramlage, but at the end of the day, Bramlage is inadequate as an overall arena. And even building the practice facility didn't solve that. Uh, It's not fan convenient, and they need to fix it. It's not convenient to the teams. It's not convenient to hosting events. All of that needs to change. And hopefully the, the money will be there, but we'll see. And I don't see any possible way you can play a season in Bramlage with it torn up. So I, I think eventually they're going to have to have a season where they play games in Topeka, in Salina, in Wichita, and Kansas City. It's going to be strange, but I think it's just going to be one season of having to do that. I would love to see him play a whole season in Sprint Center or something like that. That'd be really fun. Yeah, um, I think they're going to have to do some stuff like that. I mean, you're going to have, what, nine home basketball games in in conference play. I think you'll probably just go on the road more in non-conference play, which sucks. I mean, you're kind of sacrificing your team. But, um, you know, I think you're just going to have to scatter those nine games around and, and, you know, maybe play four in Kansas City and – you know, two here, two there, one in Wichita. I don't know. We'll see how it transpires. Maybe everyone gets three or four if you play non-conference. But I just don't see how they're going to have us be able to do this without losing a home season in Bramlage. You know, TCU did that like what five or ten years ago. Yeah, uh, Goldmeyer was doing their construction. They played, and it was like a it was like a, a oversized high school gym. It, it was, was. It was a it was multi, very odd multi-purpose facility for the school district. It was so weird. You went in there, like I went up to grab a drink at concessions. I mean, there's no media room. You just, you were on media tables kind of behind the benches. I mean, we were right behind the benches and I go up to get a drink and there's all kinds of people up there. And I realize, oh, there's a nautical center right here. There's also a swim meet going on using the same concession stand. So if you were at the swim meet, you could just go watch <laughs> K-State play TCU. It was so wow. strange. But you can get away with that when you're TCU and you're only getting a couple thousand people anyhow. <laughs> Definitely. I, I, for me, Bramlage, I don't think there's – I mean, I think, like, like you said, the whole walking in the back for the donors in that front row, That's it's odd. It's really weird, 100%. But overall, I, I actually kind of, kind of am a fan of Bramlage. Uh, I know the exterior, you know, needs a little retouching on there. Uh, I know there's a few issues, but I, I like what you said. Maybe not – completely bulldoze it or whatever, but just kind of do some renovations, make that uh, west side 
or I guess it'd be the you know the south end zone. Make that sort of the the uh, the face of the arena. You can go eat, you can go have a meal, um, no matter when, if it's a game or not game. So I agree, there needs to be some changes, but I, I I'm not that far over on the spectrum as you are, is just saying, hey, we need something brand new. I think it's you know they've done what they can. You know the ice facility doesn't really doesn't do anything, quite honestly, to Bramlage. So I, I think that you know I do agree, but I also I, I don't think it's too big of a deal. Like if you're a recruit coming into Manhattan, you know, I'm not going to necessarily care if a fan has to walk through a tunnel or something like that. I want to know how nice the, lo- the locker room is, which is really nice, uh, you know, and stuff like that. I agree. That wraps things up for the first half of the PowerCat Questions podcast brought to you by the Fridge Wholesale Liquor. We will see you in just a minute. Stay locked in. The PowerCat podcast will be right back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We now send it back to Fitz in the WTC gig-powered studios. Welcome back to the PowerCat Questions podcast sponsored by The Fridge Wholesale Liquor. I am not Ryan Gilbert. I am Ryan Gilbert. (laughs) I am not Tim Fitzgerald. I'm not Zach Carlson. And I guess I am not Ryan Gilbert either. I don't even know what my name is anymore. Gills. Gills. That's all I am. That's going to be, you know, once we get classes going again, the teacher's going to go, Gills. I'll say, present. Here I am. Nice. Nice. Second half here of the podcast, we're going to be asking Fitz the life of Fitz, getting to know his opinions on the questions we took here from Wabash Station. But before we do, sponsored by the High Low, which is located, what, 20 seconds from my house right there by Aggieville. So I'll definitely be making some trips there. Are they open now, Fitz? I don't, you know, honestly, I was thinking that before we started. I'm not sure. Surely they are. I mean, yeah. Uh, golly, I drove through um, on uh, graduation weekend to go pick up food at. At Taco Lucha. And then my friend Mark Kloss, one of the managers at, at Lucha so long, sent me a Snapchat. Aggieville was packed during the daylight hours because of graduations. Like everyone came back and we were just, you yeah. couldn't fill bars. They had limits, but the bars were as full as they could be. It was good to see, but it was also 
so weird to see. So I don't know. I didn't make it down. I didn't notice the high-low. Um, I know Annie Mays hasn't opened up. Lucha and Solong haven't opened back up. But some of those bar bars that didn't have the food revenue, uh, they they were rocking it. They were doing great. But I don't know about the high-low. I need to get in there as soon as I can because I miss a slice, a burger, everything on their menu is so good. Mm, you're making me hungry now. That's good. It's so good. It's, <laughs> it's better than what you deliver. Oh, no. I'm okay. sorry. You're doing this second half on your own, Fitz. <laughs> I'm out of here. And you know, Ryan Gilbert, the high-low gets all of their liquor from the fridge. Just want to throw that in there. Also, let me put this plug in there, buddy. Uh, Life of Fitz podcast, you mentioned it in the first half. Folks, go listen to the Jamie Mendez one. If you haven't listened to one yet, oh, it's okay. Uh, I'm, you're not going to get anything from Christmas from me, but that's okay. Go listen to Mendez. Great K-State football stories and talks about his good friend, Evan Simpson, former nose tackle that passed away from prostate cancer this weekend. It's a real, it's, I've said this one's my favorite. This one's my favorite. This one, the 50 minutes I spoke to Jamie flew by and we could have done more. It was really a lot of fun. Go back and listen to some of the other ones. Subscribe to it. We're still building up our subscription list on the Life of Fitz podcast because it's a separate podcast from this. But go listen to Jamie. Um, it's good stuff. Good. He's a great dude. So, okay, Gills, take it away with the second half. JRM1010, like to know what do you feel needs to be done about the enrollment decline at K-State? Do you feel the current administration has a workable plan in place, and are they up to the task? I, I climbed down this rabbit hole on Twitter, and maybe that's led to this question. You know, I think General Myers is kind of a transition figure. I think he's come in to get us from what we had to what we need, and the Board of Regents wanted this. But the coronavirus has changed everything. And I think it's we've talked a lot about athletics locking in on what they need to do and kind of cut expenses. And I think it's true on the academic side. I, I really think a lot of state institutions need to kind of focus in on business. I'm not saying set aside academic quality. I mean, too many academics think when you bring in a business person, they're not an academic person. What could they know about running an institution? Well, the same could be said a lot of times when you put an academic person in charge of this enormous budget and trying to manage everything that goes on in a gigantic business. So there has to be a marriage there somehow. Uh, if you can find the academic person, maybe from the you know business education side that can really run an institution like an academic business and get back to doing the things that uh, inspire students to come to school there. And maybe it means dropping programs. I'm sorry if it's your program, which probably be our program, Gills. Probably journalism would be something they said, we don't do it that well. I mean, yep. there's there's other institutions in the state, or certainly Kansas. Let's take those resources and put them in grain sciences, agriculture, engineering. They've gotten into nursing and, and PA because there's such a need in the market. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Pivot into the things where... There's a shortage of nurses and physicians assistants offering programs starting this fall. I know PA because my sister's on the staff. Do that. Keep doing that. I've said it over and over. I want brewing and distilling sciences. I, I really think we should be offering degrees at Kansas State in that. It's a legitimate market. Eventually, uh, you know, being able to get into the the cannabis side of business once it becomes legal on a federal level. And I said, Study that, get ready to make that pivot 
so that when it is legal on the federal level, which I think will inevitably happen, the prohibition will end, you're ready to educate students as part of the ag department. So there's just things that they can do. Uh, You know, I think institutions tend to want to do a little bit of everything, and sometimes you got to be what you are um, and do it really well. So uh, that's what I think, and I don't know. People, anytime you change things, the way we've always done it isn't the right way, but it's the way you've always done it, and it's hard to unroot people from that. See, college isn't dying only at Kansas State. It's dying all around the country. I right. think that's what you really need to address. Like, you know, me as a student, I didn't go to college to, you know, study journalism. I literally was a marketing major for three semesters until finding this. I am working for Fitz, but, you know, I didn't go for the education. Like, I honestly didn't. I literally just went because it was what was the norm. Um, you know, I joined a fraternity, made friends, made connections, you know, had some fun, whatever. And I grew as a, I learned a lot about myself. I think you need to really just tackle that issue of, you know, college is, you know, you know, all these things that you, you can do, you can go learn a trade, you know, college isn't mandatory at all. You do not need to go to college anymore. That's what you need to tackle Kansas state, but any school, you know, around the country just needs to say, Hey, what can we do to make it so that someone wants to come here for four years and spend, you know, $80,000 in four years of their life um, at our school. So that's that's the biggest issue, I think, for K-State. Yeah, you're right. It's not it's not just a Kansas State problem. It's all over. There's too many kids that go to school just to go to school and don't really need a degree or want a degree, and they build up a bunch of debt, and now they want the government to pay off their debt for a degree they might have <laughs> earned that they don't really want. Um, and it, it's kind of a vicious cycle. You know, my, the young man who lives next to me is probably going to go to trade school to learn how to weld. And he'll be earning a lot more money at a lot younger age than most graduates, honestly. Um, and because there's a demand in the job market. Why don't we have manufacturing in the United States? We don't have people to build stuff anymore. You know, we've kind of gotten away from working with your hands and tradesmanship, craftsmanship, all those things. That, that in the end, kind of damages the business of universities. Um, You know, the big picture is they've done a great job of marketing the college experience and the college degree and sold it to a bunch of people who didn't want it or need it. Um, And there's going to be a market contraction because of it. And I hope Kansas State can buffer the contraction around it, but I'm just afraid it's going to happen. I don't know. We'll, We'll find out. But I know this General Myers is the age where I think he probably wants to retire, but the university is um, holding off for another year and maybe another year. And when I say university, I mean the Board of Regents. If he wants to retire, then let's get going here and go find someone with a national search and kind of hone in on what you need to be successful. We'll find out if they actually do that. And I, I think the Board of Regents is kicking the can down the road and being and neglecting their duties right now. That sounds a lot like Bill Snyder. You know, you just got to let go. That point comes in your life. Yeah, exactly. King Jim 77 says, it's ridiculous that the state of Kansas has seven public universities. For comparison, Iowa, slightly higher population than Kansas, has only three. Which three schools do you close or privatize and why? And how do you sell it to the legislator? He's exactly right. Our education system's too spread out. But I don't know how you close an institution. 
I think ideally, you kind of look at Minnesota, maybe you compare it to Iowa, where they have a state system. Um, I don't know anyone else has it. Maybe California, which is a horrible comparison to Kansas. But I'm just going to be blunt here. K-State is what it is. K-State, people don't know this. K-State wanted to have the University of Kansas in Manhattan, Bluemont College. And uh, I think the governor or legislator, key legislator was from Lawrence, said, that's a great idea. Boom, we've got it here. Um, you know, back in the 19th century. So, or whenever. Um, then that made K-State the state school. So I almost feel like at this point... Everything should be a campus of Kansas State, the Wichita campus, the Hayes campus, the Pittsburgh campus, the Emporia campus, and the Topeka campus, and all kind of operated off of, uh, like Missouri in some ways, where there's a chancellor and presidents of those institutions, but a, a chancellor overseeing the Manhattan campus and those other campuses. And the University of Kansas is the University of Kansas. It has the state medical and state law Schools, you know, the prominent ones, you know, and we need the law school in Topeka. I mean, it serves a purpose, the second law school. But maybe you do stop and look at all of those things. Do we really need this? You know, I I don't know. I, I almost feel like you can function all those campuses, but get rid of, you know, if you want to go for engineering, you're going to go to Kansas State. If you want to go for this, you're going to go to that school. Uh, Fort Hayes certainly will hone in more on ag. But I don't know how you close a campus. I just don't know how you do it. It's just devastating. If you try to go to Emporia, Hayes, um, or Pittsburgh and close their campus, you're going to destroy a town. And I don't think the state of Kansas wants to do that. But I, I think they can streamline things and make it more effective. I mean, Kansas State has a campus in Salina. You don't even mention that. Kansas State Salina it really functions as its own thing, but is overseen by Kansas State University, and it's aeronautical, but they have general degrees, and you can go get a degree at uh, at Kansas State Salina. So it should probably be Kansas State Hayes, Kansas State Wichita, Kansas State Topeka, and on down the list. It am BB asks, and there's only one right answer to this, Fitz. You better get it right. What is your choice of food while uh, watching sports in your living room? Delivery, takeout, <laughs> junk food, or home cooking? I, I, I take it uh, by delivery. You mean, uh, yeah. I mean, seriously, if I'm going to settle in and watch a game, other than the Super Bowl absurdity draft thing we went through and I actually had all our own food, just give me pizza and wings, man. Just give me pizza and wings, deliver a bunch of pop. Um, the most work I got to do is get up and answer the door. Or or I'm coming up on a, a new possibility is early next week my new Traeger will be delivered. Uh, it's a, a pro version. It's big enough to cook for an entire party and I will be able to smoke, smoke and smoke all kinds of meat right out my back door with my new Traeger. So maybe I just do that, do my own wings, do some you know, chicken, get a pork butt on there, just smoke the hell out of everything and eat like a damn man. So when's the go power cat staff social distance party? That's a good idea. So we can partake actually. in eating with that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that as soon as things are a little bit better. I mean, last night was a perfect fire pit night, um, and mm -hmm. uh, I didn't do it just because I'm not a big alone drinker, um, let alone alone at the fire pit drinker because my poor wife worked till 3 a.m. The pandemic isn't working out well for her. 
Um, so she was at the kitchen table till 3 a.m. working, and I thought, I'll just go out and drink. And I thought, no, no, let's go to bed early. But, yeah, we need to do that. I mean, we've got a nice setup here. Gills, we've got a bar in our house. You, you need to see the bar. It's sweet. Contra Cat here has a rapid fire of questions. First one, who are the mentors you have had through life? And give a lesson or two passed on each. Uh, I really had it. I almost didn't include this because I don't know. I mean, my my mentors are my father and my grandfather. I mean, I, I mean, it'd be great to say I had, and there, I'm not saying there aren't people I've had influences over me through my career, but really, when you talk about uh, who I am and and how I do things, it's my my grandfather who was a vice president of State Farm Insurance. He was in charge of their Michigan district. Was a great manager of people, um, had a standoffish way of leadership, of letting people do their thing. Great deal of humor. In fact, everyone, uh, even though I'm, you know, it's not like I was ever an adult around my grandfather. Everyone in the family says, I am him. I'm like a clone, which is really interesting. And not just in looks, but uh, in style, humor, everything, uh, which is really interesting because it wouldn't have been social influences that much, even though I'm talking about things I remember and how he did it. It really has got to be genetic. It's crazy. But my father was an old football coach. He was the first one to graduate from college from his family. So he kind of changed all of our lives by um, he went to Evansville, served in Korea, came back on the GI Bill and, and went to finished up at Northwestern. Went into teaching and coaching, was a very successful high school coach in Illinois and then Michigan. Met my mother in Michigan and uh, eventually got out of coaching, went into State Farm. Advantage when your father-in-law is a vice president. But uh, my dad became a district manager, so he had like 13 agents under him in central, north central Kansas. And he always told me, this is coaching. This, I mean, I'm not coaching football anymore. I'm coaching insurance, but everything's the same. I pick my team, I coach my team, I lead my team, I let my team make mistakes, I correct them, and I demand that they get better and they they take what they do seriously. Hold them accountable, but make them self-accountable too. All of those things are how I lead. I've learned all that from my father. Uh, I, you know, I talk about my, my staff, but really it's my team. And, you know, when someone leaves my team, it gives me an opportunity to say, okay, do we need this now? The game's changed a little bit. Do we need to pivot here? And this, you are a pivot. Gills, you're a pivot. I mean, Riley was a really intense writer who helped us podcast, but he was a writer. I mean, he's just an amazing writer in terms of uh, putting out the kind of content you need in our industry. Um, we've seen a pivot now. Fritchin's picked up a lot of that. He's still going to be writing some of his big stuff once we get back to sports, but you've kind of moved in now into the multimedia gap that we're seeing in our industry. We need more podcasts. We need more video content. And we'll get into all of those things as, as football returns, you're going to pick up some of the slack on that side. And, you know, like he had his, uh, you know, his pregame and postgame reports. Um, and you'll pick up that uh, on camera. So, you know, but you pivot when you have a chance and you just keep coaching people and let them make mistakes and let them do things like this, Gills. You just take it, run with it. We'll see if if this works. This is how we met. Do your thing, man. This is a skill of yours. You do it, and I'm not. 
maybe this is what we do from now on. Maybe this is how we do it, and we just take advantage of your skill set here. Next up from ContraCat, what lessons have you passed on to your prodigies that have formed them? Uh, take care of your stuff. Yeah, I mean, I say it all <laughs> over and over again. I said it to you. Uh-huh. It's really the core philosophy of me. I'm not going to micromanage you. If you need to be micromanaged, go find a boss that wants to micromanage you. That's not me. I'm going to give you a big picture. I'm going to tell you what I want. Will you go take care of it? We, you know, just go take care of it. Like I didn't tell you to call a basketball recruit the other night. You didn't. You didn't hit me up and say, "Hey, I got an offer." You want me to call a guy? You just took care of it. That's exactly right. Just you know what I want you to do. If yeah. you and if you want to stretch your wings and do something else, bring it to me and say, you know, that's the other thing. Are you going to follow through? Yeah, you can do all these interviews. You can do this. You can do that. Are you going to actually do it? And is it something? That if it's good, we can perpetuate. You know, I, I'm not a believer in continuing to do things because you you've always done them. But I think if you start something and there's something there, even after Ryan Gilbert leaves, you can't say, well, he's gone. We're not going to do it anymore. You know, when, when someone leaves, if it's good, can you carry it on? Um, but, yeah, just take care of your stuff, man. Just do, do what you need to do. I don't want to live in your head all the time. I want you out there just doing your thing. Uh, and that's the best way. It's, you know, for me, it's the best way. I don't have a brain that works where I can focus on what Fritchin needs to do and what Zach needs to do and what Ryan Gilbert needs to do and what Michael Goins needs to do. And I'm just kind of bouncing around. I live in a head, in my head where this is what I want from the big picture. Can you guys make this happen? And you guys make it happen. That's what makes the company work. That's why we've been successful for, for 20 plus years. Riley's had a really big, Really big help with me. I know I've talked about it before, but, you know, it was like every day I was asking him a new question on how to, uh, you know, do something with this. But he's been awesome. Uh, you know, he's we wish him best of luck. But Riley's just been yeah. he's been great with this transition. It's a weird time already with, the you know, what's going on with the pandemic. But well, there's hopefully a, I haven't been fired yet. Fitz. No, there's a sense of team there. There really is. And yeah. even though Riley was moving on, he's still the team because he's 24 uh, seven. But. He, he wants the team to succeed even though he's leaving. It's kind of like he helped, you know, in the recruiting process here. He got you up and running. This is what you need to do. And and uh, it has been great help because, again, if you would ask me how do I do X, X, and O, I would say you got to talk to Riley because that's been his job. He takes care of that for me. Now, some might look at that as weak leadership saying you should know how to do everything. You're the boss. And there's some sense to that. But when you drill down – in any corporate structure, the people that actually are doing the specific jobs should know more about that specific job than the boss. It all fits together into one operation. Next up from Contra Cat, what masthead would you have killed your work for as you graduated? Yeah, he's asking what newspaper I wanted you know, when I got out of school. Interesting question. I didn't really think that way. I always wanted to work for the Star, but I couldn't because I had a nepotism clause, and my brother was assistant sports editor. So my favorite area paper I, I was kind of blocked out of, which was unfortunate. Um, I, I think, though, if I had to answer, it would have been the Chicago Tribune. Um, that was kind of my big sports city. You know, I'm not a New York or L.A. guy, but Chicago I could relate to. So that's probably something there. Um, back in 91... 92, somewhere in there, I had an interview with Portland, Maine to be their daily columnist. Um, 
I was pretty sure I was getting the job. And then they had, they were a union shop and they announced layoffs right as I was arriving from my interview. And because it was union, it would have been last in, first out. Meaning if I had just been hired and they had layoffs, I, they would have laid off the columnists and that would have sucked to move to Portland, Maine and get laid off. That would have been an incredible job because they literally told me I could live in Boston if I wanted to because I was going to be covering Boston sports. The columnist pretty much was their guy that covered the Red Sox and Bruins and Patriots and all that. Um, oh, and that team called the Celtics. So that would have been an incredible job. The irony is they never had the layoffs. It, it was just a threat of them. So the union worked it out and the layoffs. But life works out. So, um, you know, I'm, who knows where I'd have been if I'd taken that job. Maybe a big-time newspaper and I would have got laid off with everything else going on in the industry. It's been crazy. Contra Cat also asks, what experience convinced you that K-State Sports Media needed your voice in publication? Yeah, it was around the same time I decided I did a business plan to start up a magazine. can't remember what that one was called. A buddy and I looked at it. He's in insurance now, ironically. Um, and, uh, just decided we didn't have the funding or the balls to do it. Um, then in 95, I was hired by the Wichita Eagle to start up Purple Pride, did that, got sold to a small company, started my thing in 98 because if I was going to work for a small company or it was going to work for me. And at that point I had kind of become established. People knew who I was. Investors lined up pretty easily and off we went, um, I always thought K-State was underserved, and I continue to think that. I think K-State as a, as a market is underserved by uh, Wichita and Kansas City. Topeka used to do a really good job of covering things. They do as best they can now, but, um, I mean, they've been gutted too. I mean, Topeka uses coverage from the Salina writer. So that's all changed. I continue to think that. I think what we do, uh, what our competition at KSO does, what K-Man does. Um, you know, I think Kellis Robinette for the Star and Ryan Black for the Manhattan Mercury do a really good job from traditional media. But I think all these things are really important to K-State fans. I mean, I think it's really vital to have coverage, but we just got to remember also we got to function as media. Our fan base is, you know, it's community journalism, but it's everyone wears purple in our community. And sometimes you got to say, things are wrong in your community, even if it makes people in the community mad. So uh, you got to have kind of a set, do this and withstand the backlash and keep going forward. But yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. I love covering K-State sports, not because rah, rah, go cats. It's because the fans are awesome. The fans, for the most part, the fans are terrific. Um, and they're just salt of the earth people. Last question of the podcast from Contra Cat. Would you have predicted the shift from written only to a multimedia format that we have seen in the last seven years. I saw it coming. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, I got into online in 98, so I've been online for more than 20 years. So I knew it was coming, but it, it was kind of like a teeter totter that was slowly going and going. And then once it caught Pat's the middle, it just dropped. So it's been sudden here at the end. I guess what I didn't really predict was um, I knew things were going to move online. I didn't realize culturally so many people would move away from reading things in their hands. And that was my miscalculation with Power Kid Illustrated. We pivoted to a, you know, six times a year, really cool, big color magazines. And it was the best work we had done by far. 
I mean, those magazines were really cool. We invested a lot of money and effort and people just, it wasn't the same after, you know, they just, they, they didn't want a product in their hands like that. And we saw a dwindling market to the point where the magazine was never really profitable. I mean, it was functioning to keep us employed. And then the website kind of took over and drove that. But those last five years of the magazine just I said it over and over. It's like having an old sick dog that you should have put down, but you let it crap all over your house. That's kind of what it did financially to the Fitzgerald family. But but it was great, man. I, I love doing a print product. Boy, it changed. I just feel so bad for all those really great journalists who got caught, who thought they were going to make it to the end. Because I would have thought we'd had like another five, ten years of this. But the, it just happened so quickly. It just kind of fell apart. But a lot of that's because newspapers didn't understand the pivot they needed to make and get people online used to getting their product online a little bit more so that when they asked for money, it was realistic. And now people just want free stuff all the time. And so that's what I like about 24-7. We run that free conduit of information. We, we have that free thing going on, ad-driven. You know, so it's not really free. You're kind of pestered by ads. Uh, but there's a there's a lot of profit in that for 24-7. And then we also do the VIP elite stuff that um, really is different. And I want to get back to sports. So we have a lot of that kind of stuff, more commentary, analysis, recruiting, all those things going on uh, to kind of get that conduit back up. But, you know, it, podcasts are a big deal, but they're not behind paywalls because they've got to be out there for people to subscribe to them and get them on their devices. And they have to be ad or sponsor driven with reads or, you know, ad placements like this. So um, it's always changing and you better be nimble or you're going to get trampled. Well, Fitz, how did I do? You're good, Hosting man. My, own, my first ever podcast here on Go Power Cat, man. You, you just what let me day. talk. You, you know, when you let the boss talk, you always look good. That's how it works. <laughs> That's when I call you fat. No, that was great. That was just, that was so, I, that was just, oh my God. <laughs> so it just kind of, like I put on Twitter, it was like the perfectly timed nut tap. Uh-huh. It wasn't like it awkward. Yeah, like it wasn't like you were in the middle of a business meeting and you went, I'm going to nut tap him. It was like right at the moment it, when you're out with your buddies and for no reason you do it and you catch someone perfectly. But never actually nut tap me. Don't do that. <laughs> Thanks again to The Fridge Wholesale Liquor for sponsoring this episode of the Powercat Questions podcast. Be sure to stay locked in here. At Go Power Cat Friday, the overtime podcast will arrive in your inbox. And it says here on this little instruction sheet that I'm supposed to mention your wise and also powerful boss. So there's that for you, Fitz. Yep, there we go. My also powerful boss. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for letting me do this, though. For real, this has been a lot of fun. Hopefully, maybe next week we can do something like this again with there just being no sports and stuff to talk about. We're finding some great ways here. You know, whether it be interviewing the athletic director like you did last week or something like this, it's been a lot of fun. You've been listening to the PowerCat Questions podcast presented by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. PowerCat Podcast, all rights reserved, gopowercat.com and Spirit Street Publishing. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or 
I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.